Welcome to Answers from Antioch. You have joined us at the intersection of God's Word and today's world. This broadcast is brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. Join us as we examine information that impacts the church, the Christian, and the Christian home. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Josh Davis filling in for Pastor Brad Davis. It's my joy and privilege to get to spend the next few minutes together with you. Thank you so much for tuning in and making this a part of your day today. I recently had the opportunity uh, through Southwest Radio Ministries, with whom I serve the Lord as staff evangelist, to travel to Israel and Jordan as we film several different Bible teaching projects. And I'm excited to see and to share the results of those trips, but that'll be another subject for another time on down the road as the projects are continually being worked on and developed and edited and made ready for publication. Uh, But it was an awesome opportunity to be able to stand in places where we are certain that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ stood and to be able to read powerful scriptures that remind us that this was no mere man. I was recently watching a, a documentary in Israel, and they left out so many of the supernatural things. And they just talked about Jesus as if, as if he was some kind of a famous man, as if he was just some faith healer or some... Uh, uh, massive celebrity that lived during that time. It totally missed the mark, totally missed the point. And the fact is, if Jesus is not God, he is not good. He's not a faith healer. He's no one that should be followed or emulated. He shouldn't even be considered a celebrity. In fact, if Jesus is not God, he ought to be considered on the level of Hitler, Now, that's strong language. I understand that. And why do I say that? Because if he is not God, he is not good because he's deceived millions of people. Think about all the people who have died believing that Jesus is their Savior. If he's not God, he's not their Savior. Where are they today? They're not in heaven. They must be in hell or just in the grave or something else. But they died believing in this man as Savior. He would be a terrible deceiver, deceiver, and untold millions of people would have fallen away and, and died believing in a lie. I, I put him on par with Hitler if he is not God, and that's the reason why I use such strong language. Now, who did Jesus say that he was? Who did he claim to be? This is one of the remarkable things about my time in Israel. They've uncovered through archaeology and history the ancient steps that led up to Caiaphas' house. Now, who was Caiaphas? He was the high priest during the time of Jesus. And during Jesus' trial, he was led to Caiaphas' house. And Mark chapter number 14 spells this out for us in great detail. I'm going to turn and read some of these scriptures, but I want you to hear who Jesus claimed that he was. I'm going to unpack it for you. I'm going to turn to some other scriptures and help us to understand who did Jesus say that he was? Who did Jesus claim to be? And we see in Mark chapter 14, at this point, Jesus is arrested. He's been forsaken by his followers. He's standing trial before Caiaphas. 
at Caiaphas' house, and uh, they're wanting to crucify him. So during this interrogation, the high priest Caiaphas asks Jesus in Mark six, excuse me, Mark chapter fourteen, verse sixty-one, "Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed?" Now the word Christ is based on the Greek transliteration Christos, which simply means Messiah in the Old Testament. Caiaphas is asking him directly. Are you the Messiah? Are you claiming to be the Messiah, the anointed one, God's special choice? So Caiaphas wants to know once and for all, if Jesus claims to be the Messiah, the one whom the Father had promised would deliver his people out of their bondage. Now, how is Jesus going to respond to such a question? Is he going to respond at all? And again, I had the privilege and opportunity to stand on these very steps as archaeology and history has uncovered where Jesus would have walked up as he came from the Mount of Olives down through the Kidron Valley, there coming up to the old city of Jerusalem and there at Caiaphas' house, close by to where Peter denied that he knew Jesus. And as Jesus stood on those very steps where I had the opportunity to stand, he said this to Caiaphas' question. In Mark chapter 14, verse 62, Jesus said, I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Now, If Jesus is just a good guy and not God, would he claim in no uncertain terms to be the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the one who's coming to set us free from our sins? Would this be the mark of a good man if he is not God? Absolutely not. What is Jesus saying when he says that you will see the Son of Man sitting in the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven? He is summarizing an Old Testament messianic prophecy out of the book of Daniel when he makes this messianic claim. And it comes from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Let me read those verses to you. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, as a reference to God. And they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Isn't that a powerful messianic prophecy from Daniel chapter 7? And when Jesus answers Caiaphas' question, standing on the steps before him, standing on trial before the cross, he says, I am. And then he refers back to Daniel chapter 7. Dr. Norman Geisler and Frank Turek in their powerful book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. That's a great title, and it's a book that I strongly recommend that you pick up a copy of. Again, it's called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, written almost 20 years ago now, but still very pertinent, very powerful. They had this to say about this prophecy 
and Jesus as he claims to be the Messiah based on this prophecy. Quote, This was a reference to the vision the Old Testament prophet Daniel had of the end times. The Messiah, the Son of Man, will come to earth to judge the world on the authority given to him by God the Father, the Ancient of Days. And all the world's people will worship him, Daniel 7, 13. Of course, no one is to be worshipped but God himself. Yet here was Christ claiming that he would be the one to judge the world and receive worship from its people. He was claiming to be God and everyone knew it, end quote. Caiaphas, the high priest, clearly understood Jesus' reference to Daniel. And we see that based on what happens in the very next verses. Mark chapter 14, verse 63 and 64. Then the high priest rent his clothes, and he saith, What need we any further witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. So they consider Jesus' claims to be a crime worthy of death. They say he's committed blasphemy. He has sinned against God the Father by claiming to be the Messiah. Why would a good moral teacher deserve death and such intense opposition from spiritual leaders if he is not the God he claimed to be. And this is the conundrum that Jesus constantly puts us in. And we cannot say that Jesus is just a good man based on the kinds of claims that he made and based on what he said about who he was. Here he's claiming to be the Messiah sent directly from God the Father to this world to redeem this world. Is this the marks of a good man? No, absolutely not, unless, unless he is the God that he's claiming to be. You know, another fascinating scripture that we see comes out of John chapter 18 and John chapter 19. Jesus is still on trial. He is passed back and forth like the old game that kids used to play, hot potato. Did you play hot potato growing up? I didn't actually use a, a hot potato, but uh, we actually had a little soft toy that had some kind of a, uh, a device inside of it that you push the button, like a chew toy or something like that that you'd have for a dog almost. But it would play this little song, and then when the song went off, you were out. We played that in school. We played it at home. Hot potato, passing it back and forth. Well, that's really how they treated Jesus. He was bounced back and forth from Caiaphas to Pilate to Herod to Pilate and just back and forth, back and forth. They were trying to figure out who is this man. Another place that I had the opportunity to stand was on the steps. And once again, history and archaeology has uncovered the steps where Pilate's palace would have been in the old city of Jerusalem. Now, Pilate did not reside in Jerusalem year-round. The emperor's palace, if you will, the governor's mansion is probably a better way to say it. The governor's mansion was located in Caesarea Maritime, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean, a very beautiful palace. And actually, uh, we see that the ruins for that palace are still there to this day. And they've recently uncovered what they think most likely is the place where the Apostle Paul was held. As at the book of Acts, towards the end, he gives his 
famous appeal to Caesar from that place in his defense before Agrippa. And we see that at the end of the book of Acts. And so archaeology has uncovered the place where the Apostle Paul most likely was held there at Caesarea. Now, Pilate would have lived there uh, before he left the throne and everything else. And he would come to Jerusalem and stay in the governor's mansion in Jerusalem during the time of the feasts. And while the feasts times uh, were going on, He would make sure that law and order was maintained because there would be a great influx of people coming into Jerusalem. And so Pilate is there. It's Passover, and he's trying to keep the peace. And here is this man that everyone is in uproar over, Jesus. And he stands before Pilate. And again, archaeology uncovered in the late 70s, I believe it was, uh, these ancient steps. And you can stand on them to this present day. I had the opportunity to do that recently and to read these very scriptures that I'm going to share with you of how Jesus claimed to be this God and claimed to be a king. Pilate's trying to figure out who is this man standing in front of me. And we read in John chapter 18, verse 33, the Pilate entered again into the judgment hall, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Now, Pilate knew how to play the political game better than anybody else. And just to give you a a mental concept of what this looked like, where it talks about him going out and coming in, there was an inner door on the old city of Jerusalem, where he would enter into the palace property, And then he would come out and there was like a little breezeway, a little hallway where there would be another outer door and then a set of steps that ran alongside the wall down. And then there was a set of steps that led away from the city walls. And so when he's talking about him going out and coming in, he's coming through this little breezeway out into the open area where he would stand on a platform and speak to the crowd or interrogate someone who was standing before him. So that gives you a little mental picture of what's happening when it talks about Pilate coming in and going out as we read through some of this passage. But he wants to get to the point, and he does ask a very direct question, just like Caiaphas did. Caiaphas said, are you the Messiah? And here we see that Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus doesn't want to play the political dance. He's not interested in temporary political victories, but he is interested in letting Pilate understand exactly who he is. Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? In other words, are you asking me because you really want to know who I am, Are you just trying to figure out because you're trying to solve this dispute among the Jews? And you see, Pilate, he's trying to appease uh, those people who were standing in front of him, the religious leaders who were rejecting Jesus, who were mocking Jesus. And you see, there were many Jewish people who were following Jesus. So when I use the term the Jews, I'm not saying wholesale lot of people rejected him, but I'm referring to the religious leaders who had turned their backs on Jesus and who were shouting crucify him and who were pressuring 
Pilate to do something about it. And Pilate is trying to appease these religious rulers and the crowd that's following after them. And he's also trying to make sure that Rome doesn't get any sense whatsoever that there's turmoil, that there's trouble brewing, that there's an upstart king that's wanting to subvert Caesar and to uh, potentially overthrow the government in that region or even beyond. And so that's really the dance that Pilate is dancing, trying to be a politician and save his political career as he, as he appeases those religious rulers and as he pleases Rome above all else. But he also wants to be fair to Jesus, and that's a noble concept, and I'm glad that he does try to be fair with Jesus. But as far as these messianic claims, as far as these claims to be the king of the Jews, he's not interested in who Jesus is. He's not interested in what is really true. He's not interested in eternity. He's only interested in his political stance right before him. And before we pass judgment on Pilate, Let's stop for just a second and think about our own selves. We get sucked into our lives. We get so interested in our own business and making some kind of transaction so that we can make more money or in our own politics or in our own self that we miss what God is doing in eternity, that we miss what God is wanting to bless us with beyond this life. How often do we get sucked in to living just for today and trying to buy and to sell and to make a profit and our mind is constantly on what we have and what we can get and how we can make a deal and how we can make more money and never on the things of God and the things of eternity. So before we cast stones at Pilate, let's look at our own hearts and let's look at our own selves to see where we are. And so Pilate answers Jesus in verse 35, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation, the chief priests, have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Pilate's not interested in hearing what Jesus has to say, but Jesus won't play the political dance. He just says, Look at who I am. Jesus says in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. He says, Look, if my kingdom was of this world, we'd be fighting you right now, but it's not of this world. Let's go back to our bigger question. Would a good man make this claim? I mean, this sounds more like a crazy man to say, I have a kingdom, I am a king, but it's not the kind of kingdom that you think of, a political kingdom, Pilate. Would a good man, would a sane man make that kind of claim if he was not able to back it up? Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. Here it is. Jesus lays it on the line. This is why I was born. This is why I came into the world. This is who I am, Pilate, that I should bear witness unto the truth. You see, in the court of law today, we, we raise our hand and swear on the Bible. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth? And nothing but the truth. So help you God. And we say, yes, I do. Jesus is saying, 
I have come to bear witness. I've come to testify to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And he's telling Pilate, are you interested in what is true? Are you interested in who God really is? Are you interested in eternity beyond the political posturing, the political maneuvering? Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? I think he said it with a sarcastic tone. Why do I say that? Because you understand it by what he did next. And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. So we see that Pilate goes out to the crowd standing outside this place where he's interrogating Jesus and says, I find in him no fault at all. But he doesn't want to hear more about the truth. He's only thinking about the here and the now. Friend, where are you? Where's your mindset? Are you so sucked in to living in the here and the now and trying to save yourself or trying to make yourself more prosperous or trying to do something for your own self that you're not paying attention to eternity and to the claims of this man, Jesus? Pilate committed a great sin here. Because he walked away from the source of truth. The source of life was talking to him. And he walked away from that. We understand that as it goes on in chapter number 19, verse 10, as this back and forth between Pilate and Jesus continues, Pilate says to Jesus, Speakest thou not unto me? Jesus now refuses to answer any more of Pilate's questions because Jesus understands he's not interested in the truth. He's only interested in politics, in appeasing the religious leaders, in pleasing Rome. He's not interested in that. Jesus has reached out to Pilate to share with him the truth, to share with him eternity. And since Pilate has rejected that and walked away from that, Jesus remains silent. Isn't that a fearful thing to think about that God would be silent in our lives? I shudder at that thought that God would be silent in us because we have rejected his truth. We've walked away from the way, the truth, and the life. And in silence, he responds to us. What a terrible thought to consider. And I urge you, do not reject the truth, the way, the life, who is Jesus Christ. So Pilate said unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have the power to crucify thee and have the power to release thee? Now Jesus speaks up, says, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee has the greater sin. Jesus recognizes, Pilate, your authority is not from you. It is from God above. It is God who gave you that power. It is God who gave you that authority. Notice the very next verse. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold 
your king. And of course, they began to demand the crucifixion of Jesus, and it unravels from there. Pilate came face to face with a difficult choice. Is he going to follow the truth where it goes, or is he going to reject it? He tried to play the political game. He tried to be on Jesus' side and on the side of the Jewish religious rulers who wanted to reject Jesus. And most of all, he was trying to please Caesar and Rome. And he was trying to have his cake and eat it too and, and make everybody get along and just figure out this issue. But in so doing, he committed a great sin by walking away from the source of life. Friend, if you're listening, I encourage you. Can I take it even further and say I urge you, I beg you, don't make the same mistake. Don't walk away from the truth. Jesus is more than just a good man. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the King. He claimed to be sent from God. There's many other claims that we could look at, but time won't permit. But Jesus didn't just make those claims. He verified those claims through the supernatural miracles that he did and through the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy with pinpoint precision. No one else could fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament like we shared out of Daniel chapter 7 and many other prophecies that Jesus fulfilled with pinpoint precision. How he would die, where he would be born, Oh, so many that we could get into. But Jesus fulfilled them all. And then last of all, not just his miracles, not just the fulfillment of prophecy, but his own resurrection. You see, after he was crucified on that Roman cross and he was buried, on the third day he rose again to prove that he is the very God he claimed to be. His crucifixion is one of the greatest attested facts of human history. But his resurrection is equally a fact that transformed his followers and transformed this whole world ever since. We don't serve a dead Savior. We don't worship a God who's in a grave. We worship a risen Savior who is alive today, and he wants to be your Savior. The only way to call Jesus good is if he is God. Now, there's a big difference between saying Jesus is God and knowing that Jesus is your God. Is he your Savior? If he's not, you can call upon him today. How? Simply by faith. Only by faith in him. You just pray a simple prayer, no magic words, no magic formula. And just say, Lord Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. I've rejected you like Pilate did. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my sins and be my Savior. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose again, and I receive you as my Savior now. Jesus has said, Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He will not turn you away no matter how bad you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are in this world right now. You can call upon Jesus right there, and he will save you, and he has promised that he would. Friends, I invite you to connect with us. If you have made that choice, or perhaps you'd just like to connect with us to find out more information about us, a great way to do that is through our church website, AntiochBristol.com. 
You can also follow this program on many different uh, podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Just search for Answers from Antioch. While you're on our website, you can find more information about our church, our service times, and many different contact options. Another great way you can get in touch with us is through our phone number, area code 276-669-4030. That's 276-669-4030. On behalf of Pastor Brad Davis, I'm Josh Davis, and I just simply want to say thank you so much for spending some time together with me. Please consider the claims of Jesus and consider, do you have a relationship with him? Thank you for joining us today. We encourage you to visit our website at AntiochBristol.com. There you will find many ways to contact us and connect with us and so much more. Until next time, stand firm in Jesus' truth.